Welcome to the Best Boss Ever podcast. I'm your host, Christine LaPerriere, president of Leader in Motion. On this show, we're going to gossip about the best boss you ever had. We're going to hear stories about things that they did that helped you feel valued, helped you feel engaged, and really inspired you. We want to hear about the bosses that changed the way you look at everything. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip. So welcome to the Best Boss Ever podcast. And with me today, I have Brian Schoen. I'm so excited that you're here. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks very much for having me, Christine. Just for everybody's frame of reference, give me a little introduction on yourself so everyone knows who you are. Sure. Well, as you said, my name is Brian Schoen. I'm the executive director at Hamilton Children's Aid, and I've worked in the not-for-profit sector for uh, 26 years now, working to support children and families in the community and love what I'm doing and continue to enjoy leading in this field. You know, this was the reason why I really wanted you to be on the show, and I'm so glad that you decided to be a guest because... Most of the people I interview on the show are in corporations or big companies and your expertise being in non-for-profit and also being a leader in that space. I'm just kind of curious, again, some of the themes are going to be similar and I'm kind of curious where some might be different, but I think it's neat for people to get a well-balanced point of view by hearing your leadership experience in that space. There are some things definitely that are similar, but there's probably some things that are a little bit different than in the corporate sector as well. So tell us a little bit about who your best boss ever is. My best boss ever uh, really, I think when I was reflecting, really let me be who I was. So I was able to come to work authentically. One of the things that can be the same or a little different uh, in the not-for-profit world is the passion for the work. When we get to work with children and families on a regular basis, that's something that you you can really delve into and dive into. And my best boss definitely brought out the best in me by understanding what made me passionate and uh, what helped to move me forward in my work. How did they do that? I'm just curious. Did they ask good questions? Like, was it certain coaching? How do they find those things that were important to you? Yeah, when I think back on it, I think first and foremost, getting to know me as a person. So yes, getting to know me as an employee and what my role was and helping me to understand how I might work in the sector, but also getting to know me, what were my passions? Why was I doing this work? And what was it that I really wanted to accomplish? Not only did they encourage me to think about that, but then they also challenged me to do it and then pushed me a little bit further than what I might even be comfortable in, in thinking about. So as I was reflecting, I kind of thought oftentimes people are talking about the best bosses ever from the context of they were supportive, they were helpful. Sometimes it was uncomfortable. And when I look back on that, I feel like that was the time when the learning really happened. And when they were challenging me, it was also from a supportive perspective. So they were challenging me. They knew me well enough to know that I wanted to move forward but also knew how far I was able to go in that moment and then continued to help me grow over time. Can you describe a situation where you remember being a bit uncomfortable? I mean, as much as you can share? Certainly. I think one of the times that uh, that I was uncomfortable was, you know, in just, in in the work that we do, a lot of what we're dealing with are our own biases, things that we might take for granted, but families and children that we serve come from different backgrounds, different cultures, different realities. And as a result of that, you always need to be very aware of sort of where you're positioned in relation to, for instance, a family. And so um, sometimes that becomes uncomfortable when you're, you know, thinking about a situation in a certain way and your best boss ever is saying, are you sure that it's actually that way? Give me a couple of other ideas of, of what it might be. And what was interesting is when I was doing that, when I was doing 
frontline work with families directly before I moved into management that very much prepared me to then help and support those who I was working with when I became a manager and ultimately an executive director. I find to this day that I'm not necessarily doing a lot of telling people what to do, but I'm asking a lot of questions. And I think that's one of the things that my best boss ever did that I take with me to this day. That's fantastic. What did you learn about yourself as you went through that experience working with that leader? The first thing that I learned was that I could do a lot more than I gave myself credit for at times. And secondly, that best boss ever really gave me an opportunity to do things that they were doing. So it almost moved me into the role of what they were doing before I actually got into that role. So it did a couple of things. One is it challenged me to think beyond what my current job was. But secondly, what it did was it gave me confidence that when I decided to move into that type of role, that I could do that role and made me a little more familiar with what that might look like, as well as test that out and see if that was something that was also for me. And then can I ask you, given that your leadership, obviously there's probably metrics and results that you work toward. When you work for a best boss under those, you know, your job is so interesting though, because it's, it's definitely the end game is much different than, you know, what some of us are facing in the business world. Right. So help me understand, like, what's the impact of having a great leader in your space versus the impact of working for a not great leader? Like what's the difference in outcome? I think first and foremost, the outcomes and and metrics might be slightly different, but it's still important to have outcomes and metrics. When we talk about families and and children that we serve, we're really talking about longer term outcomes, right? People being successful, you know, in their family lives as as well as in their personal lives with our youth. One of the things that it taught me was, number one, that you need metrics and that you need to be always looking at the outcomes that you're trying to achieve. One of the things that they taught me really was to look at setting your intentions. I've learned how to do that over time and try and set my intentions now for our organization in a way that gets people excited and gets people engaged. I think that when I think about my not so best boss uh, or bosses, I think what I'd more think about is that they were very much focused on the task, tended to unfortunately get into the weeds and perhaps micromanage a little bit. At the end of the day, it sort of stripped away confidence rather than than added to confidence. They were able to challenge, but the challenge without the excitement of you can do this really becomes a weighing factor, I think, on, on your development. And so, you know, trying not to do that. The, you know, the other piece that's interesting is that people talk about accountability as if it's a negative word. And I've really learned, I think, over time that That's not necessarily a negative word. Accountability is really about what helps to move us forward. And so when I'm talking about a best boss ever and I'm talking about accountability, it's a little different than my not so best boss in the sense that a sense of accountability is more about what you're not doing as opposed to challenging you to be better at what you are doing. So that's kind of what I reflect on when I think about that juxtaposition. The differences, right. And if you had to teach or advise future leaders on how to be wonderful leaders in your space, what would you encourage them to really focus on? Well, I think first and foremost, I would say engagement. So making sure that people have an opportunity to be part of the organization and part of the change that you're wanting to see within your leadership. The second piece would really be about how you continue to grow people and making sure that you know them well, making sure that you're interested in their well-being and that you also challenge them to continue to grow and to develop over time. So I just want to ask you some questions about 
the type of work that you do, particularly that you're leading in, like I said, such a unique environment where the outcome is based on families, right? It's on the, the benefit for families. First of all, I mean, you must have some hard days. Like, what is that like? Oh, um, a hard day, you know, can be some some pretty impactful pieces of work. Um, sometimes there are family situations that are quite challenging. Sometimes there's dangers. So, you know, our focus is really on the safety of children and the care of their families. Some of those days can be really difficult. We're in a sector that really focuses a lot on compliance. There's a lot of stress that's associated for many of our staff around that. But I would also say that the other side of that is the ability to really make a difference and a change. And so, you know, many people don't know this. And when we talk about children's aid, we're often talking about children being removed or being taken away. And most people don't realize that as an agency at Hamilton, we're now at 98% of families that are together that we're working with on a regular basis. And so it's about, you know, when you were talking about metrics a few minutes ago, it's about understanding those metrics from an outcomes perspective. We've been able to see a, a reduction in the last couple of years of about 20 to 25% of our children in care. And we've been able to keep them in the community. Now, we can't do that without strong community partnerships and really working together with all community organizations across Hamilton and in order to do that. So, you know, our bad days are, are difficult, but we have more good days than we have bad days. You know, it, it really is looking for those, those outcomes long term. Um, you know, recently what, uh, what we did is, is instead of looking at the compliance pieces, we really looked at a vision for the organization, which engaged our staff, engaged the community, and we're engaging families in that endeavor to move forward and to maybe change some of the perceptions that the child welfare has had in the past as well. So when they're focused on a vision for the future, then, you know, tell me how that's a little bit different than being focused on compliance. There's lots and lots of things in, in child welfare that we need to focus on. Government metrics, looking at a number of different things. There's requirements that you need to send in all of the time. And all of them are really related to how we provide service. So, you know, how often we might see a family or the type of planning we do with a family. And all of that is important, but it, I would suggest that it's really not enough because the question that we still need to ask is why are all of those things important? So in, for instance, when you go and you see a family, that's the compliance piece. But what you do with the family when you're with them, that's really the outcomes piece. What does that look like? How are you adding value? How are you supporting that family to be able to be successful? Oftentimes, we're working with families that are disadvantaged in our communities. So, you know, struggling with poverty. There's been lots and lots of information, I think, out in the community over the last little while about the impact of race, Black families, Indigenous families, which are all overrepresented in child welfare. And so we really need to think about the outcomes that we're trying to achieve even more so than the standards. We need to look at those, but we also need to, to be thinking about what this looks like in the future state as opposed to in current state. That's very brilliant. I can see why that's a shift in perspective, because I even see that in the business world, right, where we're focused on process for the sake of process, but we're not actually thinking long term, what is the benefit or value or impact we're actually trying to make by following all these steps. So I can hear the correlation there where you're kind of getting people out of the weeds and kind of getting them to think. How do we really have meaning in the way that we interact with families? I think that depending on what you're doing in business, you're focusing largely on quantitative measures or quantitative outcomes. How much of something you've made in a certain period of time or you know, how many 
clients you've served and, and those types of things. Really, we need to be looking at the longer term and it's really that qualitative piece as well as the quantitative. So what does it look like to get feedback from our community and our families? When are we adding value to the work that's being done and how is that being defined? Well, that gets defined through our community here in Hamilton and it also gets defined from the children and the families uh, and youth that we serve. Really what, what we're trying to do is we're focusing in six areas, but really the first two are service areas. One is to support children and families within the community and at home through adding supports, early help and support, utilizing the assets of a family themselves. So one of the things that we recognize is that families that are isolated tend to have multiple challenges. Um, and I often, you know, for anybody that's a parent, I say, you know, imagine that you didn't have anybody when your kids were six months old. <laughs> and what would that look like? And imagine that, yeah, that you had housing insecurity challenges at the same time. You weren't sure where you were going to live and you, you know, you're trying to navigate a system at the same time. Well, that's, that's the kind of thing that many of our families are struggling with. And so it's trying to knit together that social safety net. So I often say that child welfare is really a safety net under a social safety net. Families that may not be captured in the day-to-day -day services that you and I might, you know, hear about in our community. Oftentimes it's, it's us helping to support pulling them back up into that social safety net. And you're right. I mean, I can only imagine like, you know, I was pivoting an entire business from in-person to virtual with a two and a four-year-old <laughs> and being locked inside with when they closed all the parks. That was the particular, I just, my heart goes out to people because you're right. I wasn't worried about whether the roof was going to be over our head. That was the one thing that I could sleep at night knowing, but just trying to figure out how to keep up with everything was like nothing I've ever experienced. You know, one of the things that ended up working really well, and we just tried our best because you're working through it in the same way that you're talking about in terms of, you know, a business and kids. But for so many of our staff, it was the same reality. And, and you've got staff that still need to go out and see families, right, as well and in crisis type of situations. And so we tried to be as flexible as possible. You know, our, our work hours became really, really flexible working from home. Like we haven't gone back to, I'm at the office, but but we haven't gone back to everyone being in the office because it's it's worked so well. Now the challenge is almost on the other side now, which is, you know, oh, the kids are in bed and I have 20 minutes. I can, you know, go on. I can answer some emails and that kind of thing. So we're trying to encourage people to put down the computer, close the computer from time to time and have, you know, some away time as well. I think that's amazing that you understood that because I feel like some leaders were not empathetic to how challenging it really was for people to literally run a full-time school while running a full-time career in any field. And like you said, I, I saw the burnout hit really hard, especially that third wave that we went through here in Canada, like the, just the amount of burnout. And I know I felt it personally, but the people I was coaching were really next level. Like I've, I've not seen anything quite like that. And then it must be challenging for your staff because again, so they're at home with that challenge, but then their work life is also family challenge. So it's like they're pivoting from one version of family challenges at home to another version of family challenges at work. And, and in some situations, those challenges being similar, right? So, you know, you got a single parent, you know, you're empathizing with some the same things that are happening and you're trying, you're also trying to support and give advice. I mean, it is a little like 
some of your work around coaching, right? And you're coaching a family through it and you're like, yeah, and this is really hard for me as well. That creates some, some real opportunities, but it creates definitely some challenges where you've, you know, you feel like you can't get away from it. For, sometimes you might go, oh, I can go to work and get away from that just for a couple of minutes or, you know, an hour. Um, but they're going back into their families and they're doing the same thing. That's so interesting to me. I, you're right. I definitely had experiences where, you know, someone would be doing the same thing I'm doing at home and looking for coaching. And I almost want to just sit down with a box of Kleenex and go, it's really hard. <laughs> you're right. You're right. I got no, answers. no answer. To this. <laughs> it's just really bad. <laughs> Any other pieces you want to add to this that you think would be interesting for people who are listening right now? If I was to give one piece of advice is when we talk about this change, sort of that outcomes-based piece, it's messy and it's not easy. And it's easier in some ways to be able to kind of check off each of the pieces that you're doing. So for leaders that, you know, are, are moving through transformational efforts in your organizations, it's trying to maintain that focus for a longer period of time. I would also suggest that from time to time, you're going to hit challenges. It's, it's hard to paint the picture of where you want to go and help to support people to get there. But I would say that it's completely worth it in the end. But that doesn't mean there aren't questions. There aren't people that are trying to understand what you're trying to do. And just to keep on keeping on, keep focusing on, on clarifying, supporting people through that process, and you'll get through to the other side of where you want to be. So how has COVID changed the way that you lead especially given probably the demand on your community during COVID? Well, the demand to our community during COVID is interesting because I, I like to talk about early help and early support. And we've been trying very hard as part of our vision to provide early help and support so families don't end up in crisis. That has been a challenge during COVID because lots and lots of services have to, you know, had to go virtual. Sometimes, you know, during COVID, families came to us not so early. And as a result of that, families were sometimes in crisis. I think that that created some unique challenges for us and unique challenges for families as well. We've been working very closely with a number of community supports and working together as a community to try and solve some of those challenges. And we've been doing that really since COVID started. Some of the strengths though with COVID is that the virtual perspective and having access to virtual services has also been helpful. So we've been able to connect sometimes with extended family members. We've been able to connect with families in a different kind of way. One of the things that uh, we did early on is we realized that a number of our families struggled with technology. And as a result of that, we put some things in place so that families had the technology to be able to have conversations like you and I are having today through a virtual means. Our staff, I think first and foremost, have done an amazing job. So unlike some other companies, we were an essential service. And so we worked face-to-face -face with families throughout this whole process. So definitely some challenges around what does that look like and how do we stay safe? We keep our community safe at the same time. You know, I, I just can't say enough about the leadership team and the staff that serve families in our organization. They've been able to pivot and move through that in a really amazing way. And the waves of COVID were also a challenge because sometimes we were able to be out there, you know, more easily than in other times. We've kind of had to ebb and flow with the, with the different waves. And that's definitely been a challenge, but we've been able to provide service all the way through 
and that's in huge part to all of the work that people are doing here every day. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Brian. This is fantastic. Again, I'm just so thankful that you came and shared your story and your insights with me. Great. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed myself. If you want to hear more, join me at christineleperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip.